0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over the past couple of weeks, We've started working our way through the book of Acts. And um, we started two weeks ago and we've spent a couple of weeks in that first chapter. And we thought about how those early disciples must have felt the roller coaster of emotions that they'd been on, having stood and watched Jesus die a horrible death. And then found the empty tomb. And then they'd spent 40 days with the risen Christ. Only to have him tell them to wait. And then he was ascended. And how they could really only have been left with a feeling of how is this going to change anything. Anything. He'd been teaching them for 40 days, it says, about the kingdom of God. And then he was ascended. And for another few days, nothing seemed any different. And today we're going to move on into the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and look at how this small group of men and women was transformed. And it was the start of something that was going to go all around the world. It's what we call today the church. So Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven and when they heard this sound a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language utterly amazed they asked are, these, are not all these men who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men aren't drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't think it's a coincidence, but it certainly wasn't down to my planning. That after having gone to the front edge training day yesterday, that we end up looking at Pentecost this morning. Because one of the things that came out of the day yesterday was how, in all our evangelism, we need to be reliant on God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So here, in Acts 2, this is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, that was a Jewish festival. It was one of their main three festivals. And it came 50 days after the Passover. Now, you probably know that Jesus was crucified just around the time of the Passover. And we know that after three days, he rose and he then spent 40 days with his disciples. So, what it means is, They've had about a week or ten days between him being ascended to heaven and Pentecost. And that's the time that Jesus told them they had to wait. And they'd been waiting for a week. Now originally, Pentecost was a time when the Jews celebrated the finish of the barley harvest. The the first cuttings of the harvest were kept. They were kept to one side. They were milled separately from the rest of the crop. And then they were turned into special loaves that were offered as a sacrifice in the temple. And if you want to read more about that, you can read about that in Leviticus 23. It starts at about verse 15. But over the years, Pentecost had changed in its meaning. It had become a time when instead the Jews had started to remember the giving of the law to Moses. It came after Passover, which was when they remembered their leaving of Egypt and the angel of death passing over them. But whichever way you look at that feast, for them it held a significance it had a significance because it meant something about completion and fulfilment of God's plans. So actually, it was very fitting that it was on this day, the day of Pentecost, that the birth was given to the church, because that is part of the fulfilment of God's plan. I'm sure we've talked before about the fact that the church is God's agent for the salvation of mankind. It's God's plan A to see people saved, and he doesn't have a plan B. So here it is. They've been waiting, and then suddenly, as they meet together, the Holy Spirit is poured out on those disciples. And it gave a sense of fulfilment. You could say, in some ways, that Pentecost was the beginning of the end. Because we know we are now living in the times that the Bible describes as the end days. We don't know how long they will go on. But we are living in the end days. And this is picked up in the letter to Romans. In Romans 8, and 23, it says, We know that the whole of creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, sorry, for our adoption as sons, and the redemption of our bodies. That theme is carried on in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Did you hear what it said there? The Holy Spirit is a deposit. It is a foretaste. It is a foretaste of the inheritance which is ours and which we can look forward to. And that passage in Romans says we groan in anticipation last year we went to France on holiday and I just remember an occasion we were walking around a supermarket we were just doing some shopping picking up some stuff for lunch and for the next day and uh, if I remember right I think Morwenna and Rachel had been uh, looking around the fruit and veg and were picking up some salad stuff I got tasked with going and picking out something particular that we'd forgotten on the way round. And uh, Philippa came with me. And we were just walking down the middle of this aisle. And it was full of tinned vegetables. Now, the French seem to have lots more tinned vegetables than we do. Um, and they were just, you know, shelf after shelf of tinned vegetables. Now, I don't know about you, but... Tinned vegetables do not usually excite me. Do they you? Well, we were walking down this aisle. I had Philippa alongside me. And suddenly she said, Mmm, sweet corn. (laughs) She'd seen the tins of sweet corn. And somehow she had anticipated the taste that slight sweetness on her tongue and before she'd even realised it she had groaned in anticipation (laughs) do you know she didn't even realise she'd said it until I looked round and laughed and I've always told my girls I've always said to them it's dangerous to leave your mouth flapping when your brain's not in gear (laughs) but it came out that deep seated anticipation came out and she just went mmm sweet corn we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons do you ever feel that? do you ever feel that inward groan As we think about the things of God. So the disciples had gathered together. They were all in one place. When suddenly things started to happen. It says suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Suddenly. This isn't what they were expecting. It came, it was without warning and it just happened suddenly. For those of you who are keen, it's very interesting to go through a concordance and look at the number of times when it says suddenly in scripture. Because God does lots of things like that. Suddenly, without warning, and not necessarily expected. So this wasn't what they were waiting for, but suddenly God interrupted the normal course of events. And there was this sound that it describes like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, we're not talking about the sound like someone going... <sighs> it says it was like a violent blowing wind. We all know when there are gales in the area, what it sounds like when they're outside and we're in our houses. You hear it. It rattles the windows. It finds every little gap in your house and somehow makes it resonate with a sound. <laughs> You hear it through your double glazing. Yet this sound was in the house. They weren't in the house and the sound outside. This sound was in amongst them. Can you imagine how they must have felt? Can you imagine what it would be feel, feel like to be in the middle of a gale... was happening inside your house because that is what it sounded like and then these tongues of fire appeared and they separated and they came to rest over each of them do you think they'd heard of anything like that before? if I'm honest I can't imagine what it must have felt like to be there I don't know whether they were afraid or fearful, or whether like when some of them were in the boat with Jesus in the middle of a lake when a storm blew up, whether they were filled with peace. But I think they might have been a bit excited. Because they'd been told to wait. And now something was happening. And then the passage goes on. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Notice it was all of them. No one was left out. Now God had shown his presence through wind and through fire before. If you look back at the story of Moses, you know he had an encounter with God at a burning bush. God had shown himself through fire when the nation of Israel left Egypt and were crossing the Red Sea it says it was a wind a mighty wind that held back the Red Sea and as they followed God and his leading through the wilderness it was a pillar of fire at night that led them so those there that were Jews may well have associated the fire and the wind straight away with God. Because this demonstration was nothing less than an indication that they were being visited by God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now whereas in the Old Testament you see the Spirit of God coming upon people for a time and for a a reason... Here we see the Holy Spirit being sent upon everyone present. It was being sent upon men and women alike. It was being sent upon the apostles and the other disciples that were there as well. There was no distinction. Just as it had been foretold by Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I like to kid myself, I must still be young because I have visions rather than dreams. But uh, what, what the heck, eh? But it says, even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then when you stop and you think about what was going on in that room a bit bit longer, you realise this wasn't some quiet, private event, some nice little cosy party. It must have been some spectacle, because it says there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation, and when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. This was such a noise and a commotion, that it drew the attention of everyone around. And they gathered to see what was going on. Now at that time, the population in Jerusalem was somewhere in the region of 55,000 people. But on festival days, it would rise dramatically. And so it's likely there were somewhere nearer 200,000 people in Jerusalem on that day. There were loads of visitors in town. And that's why we see so many nationalities listed. Luke lists 15 groups of people who have distinctive tongues and languages. And whatever was going on in that house was causing quite a stir. Because a sizable crowd gathered to see what all the fuss was about. And then, something miraculous happens. These 120 or so disciples, who'd been told to wait, who'd not been drawing attention to themselves particularly, start speaking in other tongues and burst out of the house. And these people who'd gathered outside from all those different nations and people groups heard them as if they were speaking in their own mother tongue. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, in this simple act, God was starting to unravel something that he'd done centuries before. He was undoing what was happening at the Tower of Babel. Now you can read about that in Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9. But what it says is, at that time, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And so they used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city that's why it was called babel because there the lord confused the language of the whole world and from there the lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth and so what we see is as these men and women burst out of that house and other people understand understood what they were saying a restoration work had started. It was undoing what had happened at the Tower of Babel and starting to bring unity within the church that is not possible outside of it. Now Luke is a good commentator and he takes the time to tell us about people's reactions. In verse 6, you'll see it says that they were bewildered. It stopped them in their tracks. They didn't know what to think of it. In verse 7, it talks about them being utterly amazed. They were literally swept off their feet. They were amazed by what they saw because it was unprecedented. Further on, it talks about them being amazed and perplexed. They found it incredible. There was no explanation for what they were seeing. And then some of them were mocking. They said, they must be drunk. Now as we go on and look through the rest of Acts over future weeks, we will find that some of those reactions are common whenever God steps in. So, there were the disciples, 120 or so of them, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they burst out of that room. And the world was never the same again. But the question is, do we still need to receive the Holy Spirit passage we'll look at again later in Acts 8 starting at verse 14 it says when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God they sent Peter and John to them when they arrived they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That scripture tells us something. It tells us that we don't necessarily receive the Holy Spirit into our lives when we first believe in Jesus. Because these people in Samaria obviously believed because they had been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus and trying to go through life as a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like trying to drive a car that has no petrol it's going to be an uphill struggle and to be honest you don't get very far but there's good news there's good news. And that news is that we can have the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives today just the same as the disciples did then. And it comes through the laying on the hands. In fact, as you read through scripture, you will find that we are encouraged to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the early disciples, and to lose our inhibitions. In Ephesians 5.18, you find it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the... The tense of the verb be filled is in fact a tense we don't customarily use in English. It's one that isn't in everyday usage. It is the present continuous tense. It means be continually filled or be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's implying it isn't a one-off act. The context is a continual reliance on the infilling, equipping and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting to see that the reference here puts in comparison being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. And that is exactly the same allegation that was made about those early disciples at Pentecost. They said, they're just drunk. And the reason for that is when we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, it makes us lose some of our inhibitions. It releases us from fear. It brings joy and peace that you can't hold in. And at Pentecost, it turned those timid disciples into bold evangelists. Now some people have a problem, and they say, how is it that we need to keep being filled with the Spirit? Why do we need to keep calling out to God and say, empower me today through the power of your Holy Spirit? Why can we not receive it once? And I think it's because sometimes poor analogies are used. You often see people filling a glass with water to its brim and talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that leads you to ask the question, well, why do we need this continual reliance on the Holy Spirit, this continual infilling? Because once the glass is full, it's full. Or does it leak somewhere? I think that's a poor analogy. A much better use of the word filling in this context is the way the wind fills the sails of a ship. It's a moment-by-moment thing. And if the wind stops, the sails are no longer full. And that's what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit active and working in our lives day by day, hour by hour, and moment by moment. Because that is what gives us the power in our lives. We need that reliance on God. We read in John 7, starting at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit hadn't been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus taught that we needed the Holy Spirit active in our lives, so that we might have springs of living water flowing within us. And do you know what happened on the day of Pentecost? God visited a group of 120 believers. And then you find something that as we go through Acts, we will see time and time again that God used that to add to his church. And it says, on that day, there were about 3,000 new believers. The early church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day because of the action of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask us some questions this morning. Just to bring some real life application to this passage. When were you last filled with the Holy Spirit? When did you last go before your Father and just say, Father, I am nothing without the work of your Holy Spirit in my life. Are you thirsty? Are you feeling weary? Are you tired? Do you need those streams of living water flowing in your life? Do you need to be drunk? Do you need your inhibitions blown away? For the glory of Jesus. Do you need to be bolder in your witness? if so, you can meet with God now, and you can be totally overwhelmed by his presence. Let's just stand. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.